three years ago, Brendan and I recorded a few podcasts with a group of leaders with the hope of providing some supplemental material for the good of our members at Providence at that time. We called it the Provcast, and even though it was a lot of fun, we weren't able to keep up with the regular recording duties due to the season of life in our church at that time. After developing our yearly sermon calendar together this fall and prayerfully revisiting some ways that we might be able to provide supplemental content to our members again, we are pleased to announce that we are bringing back the Provcast full-time starting January of 2020. With Brendan and I serving as co-hosts, each month we will post an episode with topics ranging from the vision of Providence to maybe even the volatility of politics. And while we're open and hopeful about the possibility of reaching a broader audience, each episode is designed specifically to benefit the members and attendees of Providence in particular. This week, we've chosen to release a special Provcast episode, which is an interview with our newest elder candidate, Mike Costello, and his wife, Brenda. We cover a lot in this episode, and it couldn't have been a more delightful experience to get to know the Costellos, to get to know their story, and more about their life and ministry. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Provcast as much as we did recording it, and we ask that you maybe go choose to subscribe so that you can listen each and every month starting in January of 2020 to the Provcast. You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. Welcome into this edition of the Provcast. My name is Brendan. And I'm Court. And we are joined today by our newest and most recent elder candidate, Mike Costello. Good to be here with you. And his lovely wife, Brenda. It's good to be here with you. And we're excited for today because our hope is to bring you uh, some more information about the ministry background and the life of the Costellos who have a myriad of experiences to share um, and, and to do that, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Court Marley, who's going to lead us uh, in this time of questions. Yeah, excited to be here with you guys. Uh, this is a good opportunity, we thought, for our church to get to know you guys a little bit better. Uh, as we've grown as a church, um, every, you know, now that we are able to get elder candidates involved, we think it's it's harder to expect our, our new elder candidates to meet everyone. And so we thought, what way could we maybe help our members to get to know our elder candidates and their family story. And so we wanted to use the podcast. So I just wanted to start off by saying maybe you guys can share with our listeners how you guys met, how you got married, and uh, yeah, those sweet stories. Those, and then how you met Jesus. Stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we'll start with meeting uh, meeting my, my wife first. And uh, uh, I was 24 years old, and her, I was head of my own clothing store at the time. And her brother also had a clothing store. And he kept on saying, you need to meet my my 22-year-old sister, ah. and I thought, hmm, why does a 22-year-old girl need to be fixed up anyway, you know? <laughs> uh, and so I just ran out of excuses one night and, uh, and said we'd, we'd meet at uh, Purple Gesture Bar, oh. and uh, this is before we got saved, so I can use that word <laughs> bar, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, uh, and Brenda came in, and, uh, and I, I, I just was struck by her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was really, truly uh, love at first sight. Well, the funny thing is, you know how bars are very dark. This was, it was in the Ramada Inn, and it was close to my apartment. And uh, it was funny. I, I thought, I don't know who this guy is I'm supposed to meet, but I'd like to meet that guy back there. And it was Mike. <laughs> so I, I see his hot hand go up, his arm go up, and I was like, oh, oh wow, I hit the jackpot. Nice. <laughs> so so that, was in, that was in November of 1972, and then I asked her to come to the 
a Christmas party, a company Christmas party, and uh, but I, I, but I didn't contact her right away because I had to go to Chicago, help open up a store there in Chicago. And uh, so she didn't hear from me about three weeks. And so she oh, was uh, she was wondering what was going on, you know. So uh, I, you I wanted to buy a dress, but I didn't know <laughs> if it was really going to happen. He almost screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost. I almost blew it. <laughs> we didn't have cell phones back then, right? Folks, you know. <laughs> so anyway, when I got back in town, I gave her a call and made firm up the relation, first up the the date to go to the Christmas party, and uh, and that's when we really really hit it off, and and so uh, started really dating her. Uh, the 1st of January, and then on uh, Valentine's Day, uh, 1973, I asked her if she would marry me. Wow. And so short, real short time. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Though. Yeah, really cool. <laughs> it's so worked out. It worked out great. 46, 40, and 40, and 46 years. <laughs> and, uh, and so we got married in June of that year, and um, we had moved to from uh, St. Louis, where we grew up, uh, to Kansas City to open up a store in Kansas City, a clothing, women's clothing apparel store. And um, and but we were we were very very lost at the time. Didn't have any relationship right. with Jesus. Our background is Catholic. We both grew up Catholic. Okay. Um, but we had not practiced Catholicism in a long time. And uh, and so we were. Um, and and then uh, lo and behold, uh, I wondered who I married uh, because things got really crazy and for me as far as work goes and as far as Brenda goes. And and so I, I sent her home to her her. her her mom for a little bit <laughs> and uh and found out she was pregnant oh boy and uh, so that's what was going on i didn't realize it you know and, uh, it, i didn't know what happened to this lady i married so you, know? you just started thinking she's going crazy <laughs> you so you're know? like listen i need some space you need some space <laughs> we, we need help you know where's your mom live again <laughs> so but uh, matthew was born our, our son was born 10 months after we got married 10 months wow and uh and so, um, I'll let Brenda take over from there. Well, Mike was um, working probably 80 hours a week, um, Monday through Friday. I mean, no, Monday through sun- Sunday through fr- uh, Saturday. I mean, he worked wow. seven days a week, and it was, he moved me to the city that I didn't know anyone, mm. and I didn't have family, and I was used to being very close. I was very close with my family. So, um, I began to really crash, and it was postpartum depression. They later, you know, recognized right. it as postpartum depression, but back then it was not a thing that they talked about. Um, so within about, I think it was about 15, Matthew was about 15 months, and I ended up in a psychiatric ward. Mm. And I spent probably almost the entire summer there on two separate occasions, three weeks each. I was home for a couple of weeks, and then I went back. And um, it was there the second, my second time there, my second stay there, that I met a girl who, um, she was a heroin addict. Hmm. And um, both Mike and I had had a a background in drugs and alcohol. And um, so I was kind of finding myself wanting to escape completely. So we became fast friends. And um, after we got out of the hospital, I decided that I wanted, I didn't want all the drugs that they had had me on, so I flushed everything down the toilet and I mm-hmm. quit going to therapy because I really felt like I was doing okay, and I was. Um, actually, I had a, a nurse, a psychiatric nurse, come in and told me that that I made her sick, that I had a, a, a wonderful, you know, husband and a little boy who needed his mommy, and um, we had everything that the world 
had to offer. Right. And yet I was so miserable. And uh, anyhow, it, it was shock therapy that they tried on me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, so as it turned out, Mike and I got involved in transcendental meditation. Mm-hmm. And um, we were searching. We were searching. were searching. We knew we needed something in our lives. And um, we had some neighbors in the back of us that were a precious Baptist family that were praying faithfully for us. Wow. And then Brenda, my friend, the heroin addict, had gotten radically saved and delivered from heroin in a service. And she began to come over to the house and start witnessing to me. And I still remember telling her, that's fine. You know, you needed, you really needed Jesus. You were really bad. You were a right. heroin addict. But I'm just a weekend pot smoker. Right. <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me jump in here one thing. Uh, during this time, and when she was in the hospital, the doctor talked to me and said, you need to, you need to make a decision. It's either got to be the business or your marriage and your wife and your children. Because uh, I was getting ready to open a, another store that would have that would have taken up even more of my time, and and I had to. I mean, I got a loan, um, and just realized that that I needed to, to honor my vows. That I took a, a vow to to be married to this woman uh, for for better or for worse, sickness and health, and uh, until death do us part. And so I needed to com- to to stay with that commitment. So I started again, just wooing my wife again, and and. Uh, and the Lord, Lord, we healed our marriage and healed our lives. Uh, but, but when Brenda invited us on to come to Easter Sunday service um, in 1973, and I heard uh, that's the first 1976. time. 1976. 1976, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. 1976. That was the first time I really heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And again, we were practicing Transcendental Meditation. Wow. And the pastors... Uh, during that message, stopped and said, "There's someone out there practicing transcendental meditation." Wow! And he whomped all over it, <laughs> and just said, "It's from the pit of hell," and just whomped all over it. And I thought her friend had told him that we were going to be there, <laughs> right? But he had no clue. Yeah, you're looking at the friend who brought you. Like, of course you do this to you know. And uh, and so he said, he said when he got done with the message, he said, "You're not ready. Whoever's practicing transcendental meditation, you're not ready to make a decision yet." But I challenge you to read the Gospel of John a chapter a day. And, and before you read it, ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. And, uh, and I, I left that church, and I said, I'll never set foot in that place again. And mm-hmm. I went to meditate, and I couldn't meditate. All I heard was the gospel message. Mm-hmm. I heard this, this gospel message over and over and over in my mind. And so uh, Brenda had the same experience, and so we, we started sneaking, wow. reading the Bible, sneaking, because I didn't want her to know that I was getting weird, <laughs> and she didn't want it, you know, same way. So we just kind of snuck around reading the Bible. And that began to change. It took a whole year. It took wow. a whole year. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sneaking yes. around the house, cheating on each other with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> what a way to start. Yeah. And then we were reading, um, we were watching one night an Oral Roberts special, and we were smoking pot, and um, I remember um, we had they had offered this book, Daily Guide to Miracle Living, and Mike's business was in a slump, and um, so he, he ordered this book, and that we were even watching this program was crazy, and um, he ordered the book, and anyhow, he, he somehow, in those first few weeks of reading that book, he, he prayed that prayer to receive Christ. Wow. And I didn't pray that prayer. We started reading for, um, we had given birth, to, I had given birth to Rebecca then um, in November, 
and we started reading that book in January 1. On January 6, I had an experience um, that uh, I won't go into it now, but it was very dramatic, and that's the night I gave my life to Christ. Wow. And um, it, it was um, quite a quite an experience, but um, and our lives have never been the same. It's, and so that same church a year before that said we never set foot in, we started going to that church, and on Easter Sunday, 1977, we came forward and made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that, wow. that Sunday. One year and after he said, you're not yes. ready yet. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's incredible. And, uh, and it's just, you know, that's God. God only does things like that. Absolutely. He only does things like that. And just to get to know you guys, just to <clears throat> see that how you've committed your lives to Jesus, you know, to hear that story. And, and who knows, like, people that are listening to this and thinking like, oh, well, you know, those are... Those are really spiritual people, you know. Those are those right. are people. They're they're so holy of hearts. They're going to talk about you know them being elder candidates and then seeing where they are right now and not recognizing that that's the story of every person yes. <laughs> that's ever not known Jesus. Right? Is he, yes. he really does take us from darkness to light, death to life. Absolutely. And just just to see y'all's lives and what y'all have done, which that's the next thing I wanted to get into was, and then you get called to ministry. So it's like, okay, you're called to Jesus. That's one thing. But then now you go from I'm owning a store, a clothing clothing store, mm-hmm. and this. How long after that until it kicks off years of lifelong ministry? Right, about a year after we got after they made that public profession of faith, uh, we were challenged. They had a special speaker. We cannot remember the, his it was name. Jews for Jesus. I, I don't remember his his name. But, uh, but he he gave a call for people uh, to go for full time ministry, and he he said, "I oh, would." What you want to do, we need to do is, is make a, a point with one of your pastors and meet with them and talk about making a, making a, a, a change in your life to, to go into full-time ministry. And so wow. uh, on Monday morning, I called the church and made an appointment with one of the pastors. We met with them and, and talked about it, prayed about it. And uh, he said, well, well, start exploring some things. And so uh, we kind of explored some, some avenues that we could uh, get involved in and it, it was just it was just a God thing, and um, so. Go ahead. But also, I wanted to say you had already sold the business. Yes. God miraculously, truly miraculously, led us out of the business, and on we signed the papers on September the sixth, mm-hmm. and um, we went on a vacation because we hadn't taken vacations, and um, really, twelve days after no six days later, we were in Wyoming. And the Kansas City flood came through, killed 26 people. And um, I forgot how many inches of rain we had, like 24 inches within a short period of time. And the store took a direct hit. All of the profits that we would have made, and we tried to bargain with God that in October it would be the end of the fiscal year and we'd have all this money and we could give to the Lord. Uh, Yeah. And all those profits went down the, the drain. Wow. Literally. So um, God was just so faithful, I mean, so faithful, um, how he led us. And um, we lived on that money while Mike was in Bible college. So. Um, and what were you thinking when he goes up to set an appointment with the pastor saying, hey, I'm considering full-time ministry? I was right there. Yeah, that's awesome. I was right, by, right there by him. Matter of fact, both of our arms, our hands went up when he, we that's said so yes. Cool. 
When I, I told Morgan I was going to be a youth pastor, she laughed at me. <laughs> 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 and, and, and actually, we started with youth because we went to with uh, Kansas City Youth for Christ, and they had a Bible school at the time, so it was working with junior high and high school students, and which was really strange for us. I never thought of, I was 20, 20, uh, 28 when I got saved, and, and yeah. here we are at uh, a year later going to Bible college and then graduated and then uh, at age 30 went into full-time ministry, and which is really kind of crazy because we were only two years in the Lord. And uh, they sent us out to north-central Kansas, uh, Concordia, Kansas, which is in a real rural community, and we oversaw uh, the youth ministry over 13 counties. Wow. And uh, we were only two years in the Lord. <laughs> but it, was, it was pretty. You know, you told me a story uh, once, Mike, about this. Maybe you can share a little bit too, Brenda, but a, a couple that grabbed on to you. Yes. You were telling our home group cohort about this. There's yes. a couple that grabbed onto you guys when you first came into the Lord and just invested in you. Yes, and that's that's very important. Um, uh, it was Norman Ev Schultz, and uh, just about that, just right after we made that commitment, public profession of faith, they had a, a small group that met. And so um, it had been going on for several months. So we met with them personally. Uh, once a week to get caught up, and then also we went to the group, the home group, and um, and just began. I mean, it was a navigator's Bible study that we started out. First question was, where was Jesus born? Right. And it went from there, you know. But it was just step by step, uh, precept by precept, uh, opening up the the Bible to us for the first time, and um, it was it was very impactful. And there was a, a brother and sister McGee. Were, were part of that group, and Brother McGee had read through the Bible every year for 50 years. Wow. When he when he prayed, he prayed the King James Version of the Bible, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah. there. And and I said, Brother, and I'm, I didn't know the difference between Job and Job, you know, and, yeah. and didn't know any of the, where the books of the Bibles were, nothing, you know. And here, here he is in this beginning Bible study, and I go, Brother McGee, why are you here? And he, tears came to his eyes, and he said, I just, I said, I just wanted to go through it again and see if I missed anything, you know. It just, he, he just was so excited about yeah. learning about Jesus, and I said, man, if, if this man of God can do it, so can I. Right. And just a real encouragement, and uh, it was great times. We found out later that Norm and Ev, we thought they were like, he had been believers for at least ten years, and they had only been saved like two years. <laughs> so it was really, it was really. Interesting. That's right. To that's us. A, that's what y'all yeah. you were sharing. You know, you, you just whenever they first reach out, and you guys feeling like, wow, thank God, someone reached out to us. You know, yeah. that's more mature than us. And then later on, you realize that they were just being faithful after yes. being Christians for a couple of years. Yes. Which, which goes to show, you know, and then here you guys are two years into being believers, and now you're you got this big leadership responsibility on your shoulders. Right. You know, and so you you go from leading in uh, student ministry, and I think you were you were telling me, Mike, that. You're regularly calling a lot of young people to to missions work, right? Yes, we were. And you know, you were doing a lot of work uh, with students. And is it is it a Campus Crusades for Christ, or was it a what was the organization that you were with that uh, you were that you were sharing with a lot of basically teenage college age students, calling them to missions? Right, right. Um, it was Youth for Christ. You, no, it wasn't Youth for Christ, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you was. We were through with Youth for Christ, but the uh, organization went on short term mission trips out of Florida. I just forgot their name. But so, so you, the story you were telling me, and maybe you can share a little bit about this, is the Lord basically impressing it upon your heart, like, when, when are you going to go, Mike? Yeah, yeah that's when basically you... what happened. I, we were sending kids on short-term mission trips, and then the Lord said, how about you? Hmm. 
and but it was it was a difficult situation for us when he, he said that because uh, I had uh, previously uh, my we had an intercessor group and they they came to me and said the Lord told us you need to slow down. Ministry is going on. We're seeing kids saved. Summer camps. It was just gangbusters. It was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and and we're seeing great results. And I said I will just get done with this, this, and this. Uh, I ended up going out in the yard, pick up a stick, and herniate a disc in my back. <laughs> so I'm in a brace, and uh, in the hospital. In the hospital, and uh, and we and just go on a mission trip. And I go, oh, I don't know. I mean, the Lord worked it out. That's all I can say. Well, it was it was about four weeks. Four weeks that you were. He was in the hospital for a week, and then it was four weeks of of there of getting, you know, doing exercises and. He could get up 10 minutes and then 20 minutes and then, you know. Um, but it was about four weeks after, four to six weeks after the, the initial um, herniated disc, that he herniated the disc. And um, we went to Kansas City and made a point with our pastor there, who was a sending pastor who sent us out. Um, and uh, we, um, he told, we told him that we felt called, that God was stirring our hearts for missions. And uh, he said, well, we've got a mission trip going this week, this next week. Uh, do you think you can go? And we kind of went, well, we can think of a few reasons why not. But um, <laughs> I'm in so, a brace for one thing. I'm right. in a brace, back brace. And money was another thing and our children, you know, all these things. And it's like, oh, um, he said, well, let me let me go. And um, we have a, all the elders meeting here now. Let's um, I'll go and ask them if we can fund this. And so they came back and they said, it's fully funded. Um, do you think you can arrange for child care? And so our kids stay with some friends in Kansas City. They were our closest friends. And um, God just, I mean, while he was there, while we were there, he just spoke to our hearts. And our pastor back in um, Concordia, he confirmed, he said, I feel, you know, he said, I feel, I feel this is God. I feel this is God. I don't want to leave. I don't want you guys to leave. But I sense this as God's leading. Mm. And, so, and where did you go? You went to. We went to went, first. We went to language school on the border. Well, no. Well, well. Then that mission trip, mm-hmm. that particular mission trip, we went to uh, Tamaulipas. Um, uh, it's in the state of Tamaulipas. Suddenly, I can't remember the name of the town. Uh, it's on. It's in Mexico. Gotcha. In the state of Tamaulipas, and so that's the that's the jumping off point for your time mm-hmm. in Mexico doing international missions there. Right. So you went from there doing some language school, learning Spanish. Right. Learning which Spanish. Brenda was better than you. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm language challenged. Yeah. If you can't tell by me talking, I'm yeah. a language challenge. It, you know? just, <laughs> it just feels that way about all yeah. things with with your wife. You're, I'm just I feel like I'm just intellectually challenged <laughs> generally <laughs> when it comes to things versus Morgan. But so you end up in Mexico. And Mexico City, Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And is this the time that you started to um, experience some real fruit in church planting and leading Bible studies, those Bible studies leading into churches? And yes, we, we did. Basically, uh, we were we were underneath a, a lead, our lead missionary, senior missionary. And uh, we, we decided we were going to do is to track uh, the markets. In other words, there were markets in the neighborhood. Uh, where we lived, it was the densest populated area of, of uh, Mexico City, and about a square mile lived 500,000 people. Wow. You can imagine that. That's incredible. And then, they, so they had markets every day, and we would take tracks and hand, go to the markets, hand out tracks. And then when we got done, we'd come back and we'd look for people who were reading them or 
or showed an interest and we start talking with them. Then we brought groups down from, from the states and at the same markets we would do mimes and do the presentation of the gospel. And then we got the, the new believers together in Bible studies and that's how that church started. And uh, it, was, it was just really, it was a lot, it was very, very challenging. We did a lot of prayer, um, but a, a church was born and out of wow. that group. That's and so then, cool. and then from there, we had another group come down, and so we targeted another area, Culiacan, and um, we had a group of believers there that we gathered together. Well, that came to know Christ, mm-hmm. and um, we started another group there, and um, that happened. Uh, that was about three months, I think, going when. Um, God changed direction again. Yes, yeah. we were we were in Mexico. We were in, with World Indigenous Missions, which is headquartered in New Braunfels, Texas, and they got their their start in Mexico and then branched out from there. Um, but there was a moral failure in in the mission, so they asked if Brenda and I would come out and for if I would take over administration of the mission at that time. And so uh, it was. We were there exactly a year, and yeah. uh, and we we prayed about. We felt the Lord saying that we wanted us to come back out. And we literally cried all the way out just because that's where our heart was. Yeah. And, um, and then we took over the, the position. It was very difficult. It was uh, on the national news what took place, and it was just a lot to deal with. And the anticipation was that I'd be in the, the, uh, the headquarters for maybe three to five years, put in all the mechanisms that they needed, all the accounting and systems and all that stuff so they could run. Uh, but I didn't realize it was going to be 12 years Wow! Uh, there. But it, yet again, God's, God's timing because uh, I, I traveled, represented the mission, missions conferences all over the United States, uh, spoken conferences, um, traveled internationally. And um, by the time I got overseas, I'd been to 23 different countries. Wow. And preaching the gospel, which is a – never thought I'd see that. That's awesome. And obviously, you know, your kids, they've been – now you know from St. Louis to living in Mexico for a year, then they go in there. But your kiddos are Texans, really, right? So right, they've been in, they've they been in Texas. They think home. They think New Braunfels. Yes, absolutely. Well, now Houston, but yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Except for our son lives in D.C. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. So you go um, and really stepping into this next this new role. It's not like uh, you know I picture like you know. Lord of the Rings when they're coming in uh, to Rivendell and everybody's celebrating them to go out and they're going to go fight the you know, the good fight. And it's almost like the exact opposite. You're taking a role and everybody's somber. This moral mm-hmm. failure is just awful. Right. It's devastating. And, and you were telling me a story of how many missionaries came in like that first week? Yeah, we had 33 missionaries, but 31 of them made it in uh, to, to Mexico. And we had a, had a conference at a hotel in Mexico. Uh, we got together, and the first day we just mourned and cried. I mean, it was just um, uh, the president and vice president's father and son um, were were charged with some from very serious crimes. Yeah. And uh, and so we just we just wept and cried, and then the the second day was just um, we we started praying and asking is the is the mission uh, core mission of the of the mission still intact, and so we. We uh, we had a time of, of rededication, and uh, and none of the missionaries left. We didn't lose one missionary family. Praise God! And everybody stuck, and because they realized that the man 
made a mistake and, and had to pay for that. Uh, but the, the mission itself, what the, what the organization was founded on, still stood, still needed to go forward. And, and it's still operating today. I mean, they have missionaries. Um, I, I don't know how many right now, but uh, at one time they had 59 missionaries in nine countries. Wow. That's units. Units. So that's, yeah, that could be. that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think I'd love to ask you guys this question. Obviously, at Providence, we have gone through having to uh, have a leader step out and, mm-hmm. and in a similar fashion and the difficulty that comes along with that. And I, I'm sure over the years, this is one massive situation in your lives, but I imagine you've seen this often, sadly. Yes. What has the Lord taught you about those situations as you approach them as a, as a leader? And how has he shown you that his goodness sustains? The, I think the several things come to mind. Uh, one of them is the fact that, that again, um, men go bad. Men make mistakes. Men sin. Uh, but not necessarily the church, right. our organization, whatever is involved with, and that's still intact. And so we need to do, first of all, is preserve the local church yeah. at all. And then, we, and then we need to provide, as best we possibly can, um, mechanisms for those individuals to be able to repent and then to be able to be healed. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's not easy. And we had, a, we've, over the years, had a number of missionaries that, fell into adultery or, or different things that had to be removed. Uh, and I, I sadly, I, I have to say that not all of them made it through the recovery process. Yeah. But some of them did, and, they're, and they're, they're very productive. They're pastors. They're somewhere back on the field again. Yeah. And uh, so those are the ones we, sh- we shout the victory uh, over. Yes. But it, it can be very, very difficult. But the main thing is it's got to make sure you keep the core intact Yes. and the vision, the, the original vision intact. Um, again, because the devil's there, he's fighting uh, the church, uh, finding organizations that support the church, and he does not want to see the church survive. And so that's what we have to preserve. Absolutely. And so it's it's not easy. Yeah, it's not. And, and I think it it's just a, it's a important that the constant reminder be even in the t- even in those times, and maybe specifically in those times, what the Lord is doing is reminding us of what Jesus told uh, the rich young ruler when he said, you know, good teacher. And Jesus says, there's no, there's no one good except God. Right. And so it's a kind of tongue in, te- tongue in cheek from Jesus because he's saying, are you saying that to me because you know I'm God? <laughs> yeah. Or are you saying that to me because you think that you're good? And it's hard to go through those seasons, but they are a reminder of the goodness. The only real, true, pure goodness we can experience is from Jesus. Yes. Or in, in each other, we're experiencing the goodness of Jesus. Right. Yes. And so it just kind of presses us back if we allow it. I think you got to. I think there's a lot of wisdom in how you handled it with allowing people to mourn. Mm-hmm. Something the Lord's taught me over the last couple of years is, as a pastor, my desire to go beyond, get beyond the difficulty, and so sometimes trying to skip the mourning. Oh. And you have to be able yeah, to, to allow the ending to happen, which means endings always feel like death. But even Jesus said, unless a seed fall into the ground and die, it can't bear forth fruit. So I think there's so much wisdom and just a, let's mourn it. Let's not act like it was no big deal or, well, men fail and now we can go on. No, it's this hurts. Yeah, this is painful. And let's experience that so we can actually have life. Yes. And I just think there's so much wisdom in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Hello, Providence. We hope you're enjoying the Provcast so far.
So what about your time in Budapest? How did that come about? Well, that came about, uh, again, uh, we, felt, we felt a call. Um, well, I had gone to, gone to Eastern Europe with one of our missionaries, and he was living in Moscow at the time. Things were getting very difficult for him and his family as far as traveling goes. He was ministering in the Ukraine and also ministering down in, in Africa. And so it was just very difficult. So he decided he was going to look for another country, one of the Eastern Bloc countries. And he said, can you go along? I said, sure, I'll go with you and do the, do the exploratory stuff. So he went to uh, five countries in about four weeks. And while I was there, the, the Lord just broke my heart. And again, because at that time, Eastern Europe, 112 million people and less than 1% born-again believers. Wow. And, and, and the country was now open, and you could go in and you could preach the gospel and you could, could help. Um, and so it just broke my heart for the, for the people again. And so I came, came back from that trip and said, Brenda, we need to, we need to, uh, we need to move, and, uh, wow. which is difficult. Now, now we're 50 years old. Right. And rooted. Rooted, families, you know, 12 years in, in New Braunfels, home, everything. And, uh, and we had this call, and so it was time to jettison everything and pack our bags and head up to, to Europe. Wow. How, how did you feel with that, Brenda? Well, I remember telling him, okay, um, this had just better be God because <laughs> I don't want to go where he's not right. <laughs> leading yeah. us. I could be a dead man, you know? <laughs> because so now, you're, now you're a little nervous. Yeah, like, a little did nervous. Did I really hear you, Lord? <laughs> um, but I, I felt, I saw, I saw my 12 years go to, um, to other countries, and I saw him go to conferences and represent our mission. And every time he came back, um, he was stirred because he felt like in many ways he was on the shelf. Mm. And um, I mean, he was still he was still preaching. He was still um, sharing the gospel. But I could tell his heart was was um, it still was there. It was still in missions. Yeah. And um, so I it was it was hard. It was a very hard thing. But I felt. I felt that it was it was time, and you know our daughter was a junior in college at the time. She was going to um, Sam Houston, and my sister was here at the time, lived here in Houston, and so and she had a good support system. So our we met with our kids, and our son was was working. He was out of school at that time. He was um, had graduated from A and M, and was working for the state of Texas, in in Houston, and. Um, Department of Tourism and so we told them and and I remember Matthew saying I'm happy for you I'm happy for you guys yeah and uh, Rebecca Rebecca was a little bit more uh, hesitant of course yeah, of course she was younger um, but they both gave us their blessing and um, we made a promise that we would be back every six months and stay for a couple of weeks and we were able to do that we were able to keep our promise um, the important things that they needed us for, we were there. Um, so yeah, I was, I was, we went over in, in, um, in like January, I think. And we went for a, a week or two. I can't remember how long. And I just felt the stirring. I felt the Holy Spirit saying, this is where I would have you. Wow. 
So he moved there in June of, of 1998 is when we moved over to Budapest. And, and he didn't know the language, didn't, didn't know too many people. <laughs> Brenda's and, catching on. Yeah, she's catching on. I'm, You're I'm, lagging I'm, I'm, I'm lagging behind again. <laughs> I can't understand this stuff. And, and, uh, and it, but we, we, uh, it was God, those 12 years and all the conferences and all, this, all that took place, we uniquely prepared me just for the time over there. And I, when you, sometimes you don't know what God's doing in your life at the particular time, but he, we need to realize that everything that we're involved in, He's preparing us. Yeah, you know, He's all He's doing a work in our hearts all the time. Absolutely. And so uh, He uniquely put us together um, and had a plan for us to be in be in Hungary, and so we went and then we ministered. Mainly in Slovakia, Romania, and Hungary. Those, but we in most of the other countries we were in at some time or another. But those ones we we concentrated on, and and God opened up doors of ministry um, that no one could open up except for Him. Yeah. And uh, and we just we there because our our mission was that of of going in and holding evangelistic meetings and then getting the new believers together, doing Bible studies, and then leaders were just kind of people that were interested. They had a real interest in the Lord, we started discipling them. And at some point, put one of those individuals over that group as a pastor. That was our MO. Yeah. And then we just repeat that. Uh, but there, uh, there was already a church established, but there was like only one uh, or two churches in a community um, of any different denomination. So we met a, a young, we found a, a, a group of young men that we could invest our lives in. Yeah. Who weren't heavily uh, in, uh, brainwashed into communism and had some contact with the West and were wanted to learn. Yeah. Uh, and so we started teaching not so much church planning principles, although we did do that, but mainly it was leadership development. They, they didn't know about planning, they didn't know the things that we just take for granted. Right. They just didn't, didn't know, and we taught them that stuff. So you start building relationships mm -hmm. with those guys and investing in them and. I remember you were telling me some of the just the spiritual darkness of going to towns where there was a lot of hopelessness. Yes, uh, even in relation to whether there would be a God. And obviously, it makes sense with the communist nation, communist influence. But that, that even like the experiences that maybe some of those people had had with evangelists, people coming in and then vacating. Right. Right. And how they had how they had felt like that's how God is. He just leaves. Right. And, and many of them felt they, all they did was they, get, they got inoculated with the gospel, but they didn't yeah. see transformation because there wasn't follow-up, there wasn't a mechanism no that was in place. People just came in and held evangelistic meetings and then took pictures and were gone. And so we started building the foundation mm -hmm. and started to, and giving our lives into those young men. It was neat. One of the organizations Mike partnered with was um, Saturation for Church Planting. And it was made up of a group of uh, people from all different walks of life, um, all different denominations. denominations, and they worked for one purpose, and that was to teach and to raise up young leaders. And it was tremendous. I forgot. I can't remember how many churches were planted as a result of this, but there, over four hundred churches were planted. Wow, that's amazing. It was it was tremendous. It really was. And so, how many? How long in total were you? Uh, overseas, six years, six years, six years. Coming back every six months, mm -hmm. or in big moments when your kiddos need you, but six years, six years. And and again, we just saw some some just God God prepared a way. And it's first we were we were there for such a time as this. Mm -hmm. Wow, and, uh, it was just real exciting. 
That's awesome. Uh, I so obviously you also have senior senior pastor, lead pastor experience too. And so one of one of the questions that I wanted to ask is your story is this uh, sometimes people have like there's international mission and there's the local church. And what I love about y'all's story is it's both mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're always interconnected. You know, it's yeah. like some people are the, it's it's either parachurch or it's I love the church and you guys are like, No, I love the church and the church sends us and so I just kind of wanted to ask the question, how have you guys seen, for good and for bad, uh, you know, your own lives be woven in in the local church and how you've seen God use that for good um, and how you have also grown to love the local church back over the years? Because obviously as a, as a lead pastor, you know, there's goods and bads, but just God shaping your heart to, to love the church. Yeah, the reason why we well, we came back is is let me give you the background of it. My sister became ill. Uh, she had leukemia, uh, acute myeloid leukemia, and uh, I was a donor. And so when I came back to be able to do uh, donate my um, what it, bone platelets, bone, bone marrow, marrow. yeah. Uh, but she never got well enough. So we became her caregivers, and uh, then we went back to to Budapest and we met with our leaders and we realized at that particular time the things that we've been teaching them, they did. We, they, they just were, were running with it. Yeah. And so we, we started taking a look at this and going, hmm, I wonder if the Lord is, is going to make a change here because uh, they're doing what we needed to do. And then we got a phone call. I got an email uh, from uh, one of our pastors asking uh, if we were interested in, in coming back to the United States and to pastor a church. And, uh, and I said, whoa, you know, it's this. This is, a, this is a switch. Yeah, out in left field. Yeah. Uh, but then we did pray, and, and, and God moved, and we moved back in 2004. Um, One of the things I want to say is in regards to that question, um, even though we were involved in parachurch organizations, we were always committed to the local church. Yeah. It, we, we, we were always involved served. in local church. Absolutely. We always served. We served Sunday school. We, church, we served nursery. We served wherever. Um wherever we could yeah and we were always committed if we were in town which we were most of the time we were at church yeah. i was at church when mike was was traveling when we lived in new Braunfels. so we we were home group leaders um we believe in the local church yeah and that's what i loved about your story even in in your time overseas mike was telling me stories about you didn't even couldn't even understand the language and you're in Sunday morning, you're at church. At church, yeah. You know, just the love for the the body of Christ gathering and yes. uh, and seeing the value in that. You mm-hmm. know, which which makes sense, and it lends itself to why you taking a job as a pastor makes sense because it's your heart, the local church. Why yeah. wouldn't I lead and care for God's people in this way? And again, I look upon our whole thing is God is preparing us to be able to do that because He's given us the background and given us a a different worldview. Um, because of being all the different countries we've been in, and and but being with Christians in those countries is just unique uh, to see them worshiping Lord. Yeah, and and the same one we worship in English, they're worshiping in own own that own language. Yeah, and it's just it's beautiful, and uh, and we just see this mosaic of God's people that are all over the world, and we're just part of it. But the local church, it all centers around local churches. All those are local churches in all those countries. Yeah. And uh, that make up this body, wonderful body of Christ. Absolutely. And, uh, and so we get to be part of that. And so we, we the, the, 
nothing, nothing should replace the, the local church. And let me just say this, there's no such thing as a perfect church because it's made up of human beings right. who are flawed to the max, including myself. You right, know? from the top down. But yet again, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing because it is something that Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yeah. So he's building this church and it's made up of individuals and we get to love those individuals. And, and one of the things that, that thrilled me about being a pastor, we were pastors for 12 years, is to see individuals when we first came and then 12 years later when we left and see how much they had grown in Christ and grown in their walk in Christ. And to me, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And, uh, and sure, we've had, we had problems. We had uh, people that got squirrely on us. We had people that leave. <laughs> we had people doors. that, you know, just all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it doesn't negate the fact that, that God um, does a work and it only can be take place as people come together in the local church. And one of the saddest things for me is when I meet with individuals and they say, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church because yeah. I got hurt. And, and uh, or this or that happened, and I'm down there going, hey, listen, if, if something went haywire at your, at your work, you wouldn't walk out. Yeah. You know, you, you're there. And so what you need to do is to have that same attitude in the local church. You might get offended, yeah. might have a problem, might not agree with everything, but well, you're part of a body of Christ. Yeah, you, well, you know, you think about it, like you're living in a broken and fallen world, therefore you're going to suffer. Yeah. Will you suffer with the body or outside of the body as a Christian? It's just, it's it's night and day. Right. You know, I think sometimes we get in our heads that it's, it's going to, you know, we don't have to suffer in the church. Or, or, you know, they shouldn't treat me that way. They shouldn't treat that it's way. It's like, well, of course. Uh, and, and that's the ideal. But the, the gospel message is that we often and regularly don't treat one another as we ought. That's why Jesus had to die. Right. So it's a regular reapplication of the gospel. Right. All the um, time. But, but if we're not together, we don't have the opportunity to do that. And I think there's so much spiritual warfare that goes on in that. Oh, I agree 100%. The enemy loves to isolate, loves to pull Christians away and convince them that they need to be alone. And that's that's how we can ensure that we won't grow. Right. It's how we can ensure that you know we'll get, become bitter. You know, Paul, Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, "See to it that the root of bitterness does not spring up." Well, you get bitter being isolated because you just ruminate on <laughs> being hurt. Right. You know, and so I love that about y'all's story. Um, I, I a couple more questions, and I know we've gone a while, but uh, you know we have a lot of young families at Providence, and and you guys have such a great. Uh, life story because you carry through a lot of life stages and they don't it does it's not just cookie cutter where it's like well of course they had all of these uh external factors that made it easy on them actually you guys had a lot of external factors that would have made it very difficult yeah made very it, it difficult <laughs> right so uh i wanted to ask how what would your one encouragement be to young parents this is another piece that the reason i wanted to ask this question is you were both non-christians when you got married which I'm assuming this, so tell me if I'm wrong, but probably didn't grow up a lot around the church or in the church, you know, a lot of Bible principles being prevalent. Um, and so in some ways, maybe first generation Christians and you're trying this out and some trying to parent your kids in a way that you didn't, you weren't parented, you don't really see. So we have a lot of families like that in Providence. What would be your one encouragement to young parents on how to get through the mundane seasons of life, the ones where you don't feel like everything's perfect. In fact, it's a lot of imperfections. You know, it's a lot of difficulty. It's a lot of go to work, 
you know, come home, eat, go to sleep, wake up, and you don't, it didn't feel very fun. Right. And, and but that's the point. You have to try to make it as fun. And, and <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you have to leave the work. When I, when I came home uh, from a trip or came home, I had to leave that at, I had to leave that at the door. And when I walked in, I had to be the, the father or the husband. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it by any stretch of the imagination, but we, we did not, we purposed, this may sound strange, we did not have a TV or anything else like that for the first several years, um, probably seven years, eight years. Um, I think we had a TV in Mexico, but that's Mexico, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> but I but mean, you had a lot of other things you didn't have in Mexico. Right. We had a lot of other things we didn't have. But So yeah. we just learned to spending time together. I think I think the uh, where people may be missing it is around the dinner table at night, mm-hmm. uh, where where the husband and wife, with along with the children, sit down for a meal. Uh, we also had a family altar to where we met. We had a time with our kids, where we did a little Bible study with them, and and uh, particularly Christmas time was a good time to do that because we we did a lot of stuff. Um, but we did we did we had Wednesday nights uh, when we wouldn't go to church. Um, because we didn't have a real thriving, when we lived in Concordia, we didn't have a real thriving ministry there at, at, on Wednesday nights. So um, we would, that was our family time, and we would play games, and we would do an extended Bible study. Uh, but it was fun. We made it fun. There was a thing called Dad for Dads Only. Yeah, for Dads Only. And Mike got it <laughs> and subscribed to it. And it always had fun devotionals that were interactive. And um, that was a huge part of our a part of our family life was, and we read, we loved to read. We read um, the Chronicles of Narnia. We read um, all the little House on the Prairie books, and we read a lot. Yeah. And we'd also, we all went camping trips. We went just, uh, well, somebody gave us a pop-up camper to use, and we would go and set it up and and, uh, and have family time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like also just making the time. Yes, yeah. we made Just the time. Just trying to be intentional to make the time. You have to. And be okay with the imperfections of that time. And, and I had a, I, I, I'm, took, I'm a workaholic, and I took that into ministry as well. And I had to learn uh, to say no. And that's, uh, that's a very important thing to do. And uh, there's not, it's, you have to learn the word no, because a lot of times we're servants. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so what I had to do was, uh, and my family, sometimes I would, if something came up, I would go and do that versus be yeah. with my family. And, and that was one of the mistakes I made. I had to learn that when I said I was going to be with my family, I was going to be with my family. Yeah. And not have something interfere, a uh, ministry opportunity or a phone call to do this or that, the other thing. So Yeah, it's saying no so that you can say yes to your yeah. family mm-hmm. and can say yes to, to what's important. You know, it's, uh-huh. it's making space for this other yes. But it, it, it was a struggle for us. It's a struggle for for, for families today, yeah. and, and probably even more so because now we have, for most families, it's a two-income families, and both of them are working. It's very difficult and very hard, so they, young people today really need to be intentional. Family members have to be really, really intentional about how they're going to handle that, how they're going to have quiet time, or how they're going to have an interaction with their children on a level that, that will influence them. So it's, it's a struggle. We I would say that. if there was one thing that we didn't do enough of, and we had a lot of fun time, we did, but I wish we would have laughed more. Hmm. I wish we would have laughed more and been silly more. Yeah. I, I, as I look back, 
um, I think that was something that um, I don't think we did quite enough of. Do you feel like uh, that you look back on it now and you think you, you took yourself too serious, time Ab- too serious? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that it's it's funny how you, you always look back at a former version of yourself, but then when you're in your current, but, but what I'm doing so serious right yes. now, you know, <laughs> yes. like you look back like, oh, well, it wasn't that bad, but now it is. You know, uh, and it's right. funny that we always do that in, in reverse rather than being able to. And I think Sabbath rest allows for that. It reminds you that God's working. Mm-hmm. So he's doing really the heavy lifting. Yes. Yes. Sabbath allows you to rest and think, oh, or even like you guys coming back uh, for your sister. And then you go back to overseas. You realize like, oh, the work continued without us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that's that, a good and, thing. and that's a good thing. And I think sometimes it feels bad at first. It feels like, oh, no, they don't need me, so don't feel useful. But then you're, there's a restful part, too. It's like, oh, you know, they didn't need me. Like, the world's okay with your phone is off. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? And, and, and the world's okay if, you know, you're not nailing it all the time. And, and so that takes the edge off of uh-huh. being so serious about yourself, taking yourself so seriously so that you can laugh with your kids and enjoy time. Yeah, enjoy time. I mean, Scripture tells us that, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I think sometimes we don't take joy in him. It's like we're very serious about, you know, being right or whatever it may be rather than taking joy in Christ. And um, OK, I had one more and then I'll turn it back over to Brendan. And that was now that you've taken a new role um, as grandparents, how has that changed? And we have grandparents in Providence. I wrote that down to ask is. Um, have you seen that change as far as okay? I, I knew what I was doing when I was parenting my kids, but now it's their now it's their child. <laughs> and how do you engage with that? Yeah, it, it, it it's a whole different whole different area, yeah. and uh, and we're still learning. <laughs> uh, but again, we love it the fact that that we can have them for a while. Hey, we have sleepovers, uh, you know, and we play games and and. Uh, we, we, I read him this book, and, you, and it had a sumo wrestler in it, right? Nice. So I brought up a YouTube <laughs> video and actually showed him what took place, and then we spent the whole night sumo wrestling. <laughs> and, of course, you always won. Yeah. So I always end up on the ground, you know, about 100 times, I think, yeah. or something like that. And, and, again, just playing, being silly. Um, he, he, likes to, he likes to come over and spend the night. When he does in the morning, we have to have pancakes, Nana's pancakes. <laughs> yes, and, uh, Mama doesn't <clears throat> make them like Nana does. Okay. <laughs> Same I'm, thing. I'm sure that Bisquick. your daughter loves that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she thinks it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, uh, we, and we try to always, uh, when he's over, pray with him. Uh, we, try to, we interject Bible, Bible stories. We talk about the Lord. Um, yeah. And just just help him to realize uh, that that God loves him, mm-hmm. that Jesus died for him, and that he ultimately wants to have a relationship with him. Yeah. And and uh, and it, we also we input with our daughter, and uh, we have a wonderful time with her and her husband, and and uh, and so we're just, we're excited about the opportunity that we have. But again, we have to be intentional because uh, you know our lives are we're both of us are working now part time jobs. And as well as church activities and stuff, and we have to remember that this family is is very very important, and so yeah. we don't we don't want time to pass and us Slip not away. be involved in his in his life. Yeah, but he's a blast. That's his awesome. name is Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> my Lincoln's parents, a blast. My parents always joke that the best part about being grandparents is you get to send them back. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> and, and make sure they have lots of sugar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it has been a pleasure to get to know you guys better. I mean, there's so many things that I didn't I didn't know, and I've I've talked to you guys about a few of your stories, and and I hope for for you guys who are listening that this was as beneficial for you as it was for us. Uh, if you haven't personally met Mike and Brenda yet, I encourage you find them on a Sunday morning. They're always here, always faithful to be serving the body of Christ with their gifts. They do have a home group that meets in the Oaks of Pataskaseta as well. Um, and if you're interested in that, you can visit the Connect booth. And uh, so as we uh, approach the new year, like I said, hope that you get to know them better. And if you have any questions for them, feel free to ask them. Um, I'll leave you with our benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Go now and share the love of God that's been shown to you. Love God. Love people. We'll catch you next time.